You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome to America's Web Radio. You're listening to The Prologue, a weekly program bringing you introductions to writers and books you may not be familiar with. My name is Doug Dahlgren. I'll be your host for this hour. I'm an author myself. You can find my work on Amazon, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, all the online retailers, and you can go to my website, www.dougdahlgren.com, and learn all you need to know about me and hopefully all you would want to know about the books and where to order those. And we call this show The Prologue because that's what it is. And while our introductions are mainly to writers, we love to bring you interesting people with just a good story to tell from other fields and other endeavors. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you have a pen or a pencil handy? Do you have something to write on? Okay. We're going to give you just a minute because, you see, there's going to be information that we give out throughout this program that you might want to make a note about. Like this, for instance. If you or someone you know has a book or that interesting story that just needs to be told, I want you to reach out to me through email, and there's two ways to do that. There's Doug at americaswebradio.com or doug at dougdahlgren.com. Leave us an email, tell us about yourself or your friend, and make sure that they get in touch with me. Uh, And also, folks, listeners out there, we'd like to hear from you about the program. Let us know what you think of the show. Use either of those two emails and just give me an up or down or whatever you think about it. We'd love to hear from you. Now, our guest author today is a returning friend of this program, a writer who has visited with us before. This practicing attorney and judge by day dons the cape of humor in whatever spare time she can find and writes down her observations of life in story form. She offers us collections of her stories in her books. The first one was Mismatched Shoes and Upside Down Pizza. It reminded us through its title alone how so much of that really doesn't seem funny at the time really is. Continuing and broadening her scope with humorous anecdotes, Lori Duff then offered her second book, The Armadillo, the Pickaxe, and the Laundry Basket, covering the answers to such questions as how to operate a refrigerator in 26 easy steps and how to serve Cheetos in a Tiffany bowl. Her humorous wisdom even included a discussion on supportive undergarments. Her latest book is subtitled as The Confessions of a Middle-Aged Working Mom. That title at the top is simply, you know I'm a lot, you know, (laughs) let me start that over because it's too good. The title of the book at the top of the page is, You Know I Love You Because You're Still Alive. And this is your prologue. Antidotes can be touching, brutal, heartwarming, and humorous if you're in the right mood. Antidotes by a working mom with teenage children can touch all those bases and then some. Subjects like how simple arguments can be worth fighting over, how simple arguments can be worth fighting over. Promptness versus tardiness. The trauma of losing a library book and why 63.2% of your knowledge base isn't really all that important. 
These topics are topics are tackled by the author's straightforward style that leaves you both agreeing and shaking your head in laughter. The new book is You Know I Love You Because You're Still Alive, The Confessions of a Middle-Aged Working Mom. And here to tell us about it is the author, Lori B. Duff. Welcome back to the prologue, Lori. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm sorry about all the tongue tied this morning, but I'm hoping I'm going to get used, <laughs> get over it. It's it's been a long week. But it has been. Yeah. Here here we are again, and, and this is number three. Is that right? Number three. All mm-hmm. right. Nearly two and a half years ago, we talked about mismatched shoes and upside down pizza, and then I guess it was around a year ago that you brought us the armadillo, the pickaxe, and the laundry basket. You just mm-hmm. keep seeing these humorous things uh, to write about, don't you? Everything is material. Everything? Everything. everything. How does this new collection of stories differ from the other two? Well, it differs because my kids are older, so there's less, uh, you know, when your kids are young and they're cute and they do cute things, it's one thing. And then when you have, as they grow up, and now I have teenagers, and it's a completely different world to tackle. Uh, Also... I think my style has changed over the years, and I think I'm becoming a little more sentimental, a little more thoughtful, a little more contemplative. I like to think it's still funny. You haven't lost the edge, though. I live on the edge. I'm <laughs> trying not to fall off the edge. <laughs> well, the humor has to have a bite, and you certainly have that. Uh, <laughs> Now, the similarities in the books, those things are important as well. Everybody Mm -hmm. can identify with the subject matter that you bring up. Uh, They may not deal with it quite the same way, but they recognize it. Uh, Is that important to you to make sure that's inclusive when you write? It is. It is. I try very hard to make my books inclusive. Um, They are, um, there, there are no cuss words in them, there's no sex scenes, there's nothing in there that would be offensive to anyone, I don't think, Uh, certainly not trying to be exclusive, there's so many things that divide us, and and I'm trying really hard to show everyone how much we have in common, that humor can be a great uniter, and we all live these little moments in our lives, and that's what I write about. People ask me sometimes what my book is about, and I'm I'm stumped a lot of times because they're not really about anything. And and so the line I've come up with is they're about nothing in the way that Seinfeld was about nothing. It's about just just the everyday little things that happen to all of us, and it doesn't matter what background you come from or what your beliefs are. We all live these little days, and we all buy new refrigerators, and we all uh, fall down occasionally. And, we all have to deal with teenagers at some point. Your targets, once again, uh, continue to be your family. Do, yes. <laughs> do, do you have to get their approval before you write about them? Um, well, my kids have grown up with this. I've been doing this so long that they don't really remember life without being written about. And and so that's just something that they live with. Um Occasionally, if it is a more, I say controversial, but I really don't write anything controversial, but something that I think might embarrass them, I will run it by them. I tend not to run it by my husband because I think it's easier to get forgiveness 
husband. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they know that's that's how I love. That's how I. That's my love language is by telling stories about them. That this is showing the world that they're the most important part of my life, and that's what I write about. It's the most important thing. Um, but my kids sometimes they they get a little irritated. Well, they're because like you said, they're getting older, and you've got they uh, are both teenagers what, now, and, right? And what frustrates them is a lot of times adults will know quite a bit about their lives that they've never met, and they'll be somewhere, and someone will come up to them and talk to them, and this happens to me too. People people know me better than I know them because they have so much of my life on display. And then they'll assume that I know that much about them when I might remember their name. And <laughs> they'll come up to me in the grocery store, and it's just surprising how much people know about my life. And the same thing happens to my kids, and I think it's even more surprising to them because they didn't put it on paper. The world is such a different place today. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, when you first started writing, it seems like it was a simpler time, and I don't mean that we're going back 100 <laughs> years. I mean, look look at the advancement in things like uh, Facebook and mobile phones and smartphones. Everybody today has their head buried in something. And uh, really, back back when you first started conceiving that first book, it really wasn't quite that bad, was it? No, it wasn't. Every minute of people's lives wasn't documented the way it is now. And I've had to keep up with social media because of my teenagers and... Whereas, you know, I, I like Facebook, and I spend an embarrassing amount of time on Facebook every day. Uh, but that's probably all I would do if it was just me. But I uh, keep up with Twitter and, because of my kids, Instagram and now Snapchat. And it's really the most amazing information-gathering service in the universe. And I'm, I'm always surprised by how much of people's lives they feel they have to document and show to the world oh yeah um, and it's on and it's, it's on the internet so you know it's true <laughs> well it's true if you can see a video of it <laughs> and that's i i see a lot of videos of things that i wouldn't want a video of me doing um but there it is but it works both ways yeah. it's, it's the whole idea when you're talking about marketing yeah um that it, it's I can instantly get something out in front of thousands of people, whereas before you'd have to buy mailing lists and, and work your way into that. And it's it's information sharing as well as information gathering. It's just we ought to be a little more discreet, I guess. Well, <laughs> yeah. But we choose to share. Everybody's going for that 15 minutes of fame, and, uh, you know, discretion kind of has been pushed to the side in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, you've lived in different areas uh throughout your life, how has that affected your outlook on things and the way you write? I have lived, just just for people who don't know, I was born in Atlanta, and then I lived in Nashville, and then I lived in Houston, and then I lived in New York, and then I went to college in North Carolina, and then I came back to the Atlanta area for law school, and I stayed here. Um, so I've made a pretty big tour around the country there, and I think it it keeps my mind more open because I've lived in so many completely different communities and been exposed to so many 
completely different types of people, but I, it, I'm aware of how big the world is, and I'm conscious of other people's worldviews when I'm looking through my own lens, and I, I think I'm maybe a little more aware of how narrow my lens is than people who haven't been the fish out of water might be. Well, now, you, all of it has been in the South, really, right? Well, I spent my, I call it my formative years in New York. Um, I lived from fourth grade until I graduated from high school in New York. And my parents are sort of stereotypical New York Jews. And so if people ask me where I'm from, I'd say New York. Well, now, when you came back from New York, did you, did you have a temporary or permanent visa to come into the South? I came here for law school. Well, I came here for college in North Carolina. Uh, and then I stayed for law school, and I just liked it here. Atlanta is a great city to be young and poor in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's You know, there's a lot to do, and the weather's great, and you don't have to have a ton of money in order to live decently. Uh, and so I just stayed, and I'm not going anywhere. We're going to get <laughs> I've back. I've been here more than, yeah, more than I've ever been anywhere. We're going to get back to more from Lori Duff and her new book, You Know I Love You Because You're Still Alive, right after these short messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. George. Join me on Wednesday mornings from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock when we talk about more than medicine. It's now about staying healthy, but it's about the strategy to do so. Join me on Medicine on Call. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we are back. We're here this morning with a returning guest. Lori B. Duff is with us. 
she's brought her third book of humorous antidotes, and that's using that phrase very mildly. These books are terrific. The third one is titled, You Know I Love You Because You're Still Alive. And, uh, I mean, it's just a tremendous, tremendous outlook on life, a tremendous book of observations about life. Um, and those observations had to have been affected by a lot of things. You, you've been back in the South now after going to school and living in New York. You've been down here for how long? Forever. Since 1990, well, um, if you start college, it's 98. Okay. I mean, not 98, 88. So you were born down. So you were born down here, and then you had a transitional <laughs> period up in New York, and then you've come right. back. How do you see the South today, as opposed to the way it was when you were younger? That's really hard for me to say because when you're a kid, the world just your house and your neighborhood. I don't know that I really had a sense of place. I remember. I was very young when we moved out of Atlanta. I was a year old, and I was three when we moved from Nashville, so I only have very vague memories of that. Um, I do remember living in Houston pretty well. I was nine when we moved from there, uh, and I remember just just an enormous sense of pride that Texans had of being from Texas, <laughs> and I remember carrying that with me to New York and people kind of making fun of me for that. Um, but, I mean, I, you know, it's, as far as, I don't know, just the, the general atmosphere, the makeup of the population, that sort of thing, I don't know that I can say because I was, I was a kid. Okay, all right. Well, unfair question to some regard. Um, but, you know, a lot of us down here, we think about New Yorkers and the way they are, and it's almost like uh, visiting a foreign land. Uh, <laughs> Well, and it is in some ways, and and when people ask me where I'm from, it depends on who's asking and why, what my answer is, because my my birth certificate says that I was born at Georgia Baptist Hospital, so I've got bona fide Southern credentials, so... You are. So I'm from Atlanta, or I'm from New York, depending on who's asking and why. Excellent, excellent. Now, folks... I'm not afraid to play it always. There we go. Lori, I want to ask you, uh, where can our listeners find out more about you and all three of your books? Well, my books can be found on just about any online retailer and a precious few but growing brick, brick and mortar. Let me say that again, brick and mortar retailers. Um, my website is www.loriduffwrites.com. Dot com and Lori is spelled with four letters L O R I. Uh, it says com and that has uh, it's got an about section. It's got uh, information about my books. It's got my blog. I do book reviews almost every week. I miss a lot of weeks. Um, I ha- it has information about some writing classes that I'm starting up. Uh, it has information about um, writing that I will do for other people. I'm slowly but surely trying to make a transition from practicing law to not practicing law, and I have to do something else in its stead, so I'm trying to set up some writing services that I can do for people. There's information all about that on the website. All right, excellent. Um, the book, 
this latest one in particular, all of them are worth the price. It's, it's just they're great to have, and folks, you really need to look into it, whether it be on Amazon or whether you go through Lori's website. But worth the small price on its own with the first, or this, this last book, the title again is You Know I Love You Because You're Still Alive. And that's a mouthful. That says a lot to a lot of people. Um, but you have in this one a parent's bill of rights. Ten amendments that address concerns that parents have all dealt with. Uh, Go into that a little bit, if you don't mind. I don't want to give the book away, but talk about your parents' Bill of Rights for us. Let me me find that here. Uh, That one came from a very frustrating day where I thought, you know, I spent my whole life running my kids around and everything seems to be about them and don't I have any right to put my foot down and of course I'm a lawyer so I think of things legally and I so naturally when I thought don't I have any rights I thought of the Bill of Rights and then so I went and pulled up a copy of the Constitution and the amendments and thought well I can just kind of make this analogous um And so, for example, it says, the First Amendment, free speech, the fact that you have given birth to a child, adopted a child, or in some other way claimed a youngin' for your own, in no way, shape, or form limits your right to free speech. If you spill the pink drink in the car, especially if it splashes back on your white pants, you are entitled to free use of any words in your vocabulary, even the ones that make you put a quarter in the swear jar. That actually comes from uh, another story where my son was in kindergarten, and he got out in the school spelling bee. And when he got out, he stamped his little foot, and he said, Damn it! And he got in trouble, because he was in kindergarten. And the teacher asked him where he learned that word, and he said through tears, When Mommy spilled the pink drink in the car... <laughs> and they learn I a lot stand. about vocabulary writing. <laughs> they do. I thought, well, I stand by that, damn it. And I have the right to say it. It was very frustrating. Oh, um, I know. Uh, your writing has been compared many times. You've got a lot of great reviews on, on the books. Uh, the third one is picking up reviews left and right. And you were compared many times to Irma Bombeck. Now, that's kind of neat, isn't it? Yes, yes. I remember reading her books when I was younger over and over and reading her column in the paper. Um, and I, I am, of course, very flattered by the comparison. I would I would like to think I'm as good and eternal as she is. Um, but, you know, she's been gone for a long time, and she's still... People still read her. If you looked at the best on list on humor essays, which I do approximately every seven minutes to see how my book is doing, her books are still there. She's and, the gold standard. She is. She is. And it's because she's, she spoke in a way that you know everybody could relate to. She was talking about life as it actually happens and not some glamorous life and not some... Uh, unusual life or especially tragic life or anything. It was just life. It was just life in the suburbs with kids, which is how most of us spend our days. And and so it's just very relatable. Um, I had heard that comparison sometimes 
several times. And um, I found out about the Irma Bombeck Writers Workshop in Dayton, Ohio, that's given every two years. And I found out about it too late to go uh, in 2014. It's given every two years. And so I, I went in 2016, and it's, it's a very exclusive sort of workshop in that it sells out very quickly. I think this year it sold out in six hours. And I knew it would sell out quickly, so when I, I knew the tickets were coming open, I sat at my computer and just obsessively refreshed the website again and again and again, again until I could <laughs> get in and <laughs> finally got in and signed up. And uh, I spent just some amazing days this spring in Dayton, Ohio, uh, with just an amazing group of women. Um, it was mostly women. It was about 300 people. They keep it kind of small. So it's about 295 women, five very brave men, and... The, it was it was an interesting dynamic because everyone there was funny, and it, you normally when you have a crowd of people, people judge you by your politics or your looks or your you know they want to group up into religions or whatever groups that that people normally gravitate towards. But it was several days of women just all trying to be the funniest person in the room which was amazing. It was so funny. And I learned so much from the, the people there and the, the teachers there. And it's just a, just a supportive community of writers. And there's a, there's, you know, closed Facebook groups. And I've made such amazing friends and been influenced so much by them that her Irma Bombeck's legacy is beyond just her writing, that she has this whole community of writers that follow her, and we call ourselves Irmites. And, you know, it, it's well, the, uh, the, the art of making the stories relatable, uh, you mentioned the laughter and, and the, the other women mm-hmm. trying, to, trying to be the funniest one in the room. I think people would much rather laugh with you than at you. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just uncomfortable when you're telling stories that they don't understand. They know it's funny, but they don't get into it. But if they can can put themselves in your shoes while you're telling the story, and that's what Irma did, and that's what you do. So it's a comfortable laughter and, and something that mm-hmm. people enjoy doing. Um, you said something a while ago about the courses that, that you're preparing and that you teach people and that you often uh, actually ghostwrite for other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do. Real quick, we're running up against a break, but talk about that a little bit. Uh, well, I, I am, I've had a lot of people say, well, I have stories, and I want to tell stories, and, and they just don't know how to get started. And so I've, I've put together a class. It's the first one being offered on December 10th. Uh, it's a memoir writing class, and the idea is that at the end of that, you'll have one working story, an anecdote, like a chapter in my book, and we'll put them together in a... Uh, blanking on the word collection of stories that's I called anthology anthology yes. that's the word an anthology that we'll put up on Kindle um, and then I'm working on a class that's going to be a six month class that will be done over the computer virtually that um, at the end of the time you'll have a working draft of a memoir there's so many stories out there, and every single person has a story because every single person has their own view on the world. 
And it doesn't have to be some big dramatic thing that most of us don't live those lives and we can all relate to something. It's, as long as it's a well-told story, it doesn't matter what the plot is. There you go. Tell your story. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why the, the, the workshop is called Telling Your Story. Very good. Um, we've got a whole bunch of other stuff that we want to go into. We're really close to the break now, so I think we're going to go ahead and alert the station. We're going to do this now. Folks, you are listening to the prologue on America's Web Radio. We're talking this morning with Lori B. Duff about her latest book, You Know I Love You Because You're Still Alive. And we're going to be back with more from her after these messages. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is Dr. George. Join me on Wednesday mornings from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock when we talk about more than medicine. It's now about staying healthy, but it's about the strategy to do so. Join me on Medicine on Call. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we are back on the prologue this morning. Here on America's Web Radio, we've got a great guest with us today. Lori B. Duff is back with her third novel, a little book of antidotes titled, You Know I Love You Because You're Still Alive. And this is the confessions of a middle-aged working mom. We've been talking about life experiences and being compared to Irma Bombeck and and how her writing is something that everybody can really relate to. Uh, 
among your life experiences, I don't know how much you draw on it or not, but you actually were chosen to be on a game show at one point. Uh, <laughs> tell us about I that. Was. Tell us about it, and, and what was that like? I was on Jeopardy on January second, two 2003, which is one two three, which is I, I can remember it. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I have in my office, I have, all kinds of impressive diplomas and awards and things that I worked very hard for. And I have a, a small 5 by 7 picture of me with Alex Trebek in a frame that says Jeopardy. And that is the only thing that people ever comment on. You know, nobody cares about my deeds list or anything else that I've ever done. It's just the Jeopardy thing. And I really ought to write about it, but I haven't. Um, it was so much fun. Uh, I was this was back before I even had kids. In fact, I remember I was just newly pregnant with my son when I took the written test, and they they had a contestant search in Atlanta, and I, I did a, the written test, and then if you pass the written test, then they take you back to do some mock games, and I did that, and then they said, don't call us, we'll call you. And then I forgot about it because it had been quite a while. And then 18 months later... They called me and said, are you still interested? And I said, does anyone say no? It seemed insane to me. And uh, I flew out to California and was on Jeopardy. And if you Google Lori Duff Jeopardy, that's all you have to do, uh, somebody with a lot of time on their hands has put up an analysis of every Jeopardy game ever, and you can see each question, each answer, who answered it, whether it was correct or not, and a some really impressive statistical analysis of how we all did. <laughs> well, you know, that, that particular game show, I'm not a big buff on game shows, to be honest with you, but Jeopardy is the creme de la creme. I mean, that is intellectually uh, where everybody goes to watch and test their own prowess as far as who knows what. And Alex Trebek... You know, by association, he is considered uh, the guru, you know, of intellectuals. Uh, I heard something recently, and it was on the Internet, so, again, I know it's true. But, <laughs> but they say that Alex actually, uh, for lack of a better term, went off on a guest because of her choice of music. Did you happen to hear or read about that? I saw a headline about that. Did you, I didn't really know. Did you see anything in his personality or the way he behaved that that would make you think that that was par for the course, or, did, or does that sound like something out of the ordinary? He struck me mainly as kind of socially awkward, which you don't get on television. But he really didn't have much more to do with us than you see. It's filmed in real time, so you have commercial breaks. And you just kind of stand there waiting during the commercial break, and they film five episodes right in a row. It takes half an hour to shoot an episode. It's a half-an-hour show. Um, but he he just struck me as, as more awkward. And, and so something like that, I could, you know, you sort of picture the shy kid at the party not knowing what to say to somebody, so they say something, and it turns out all wrong. Uh-huh. And, and that, to me... Would, would explain it more than any kind of snobbery or anything like that yeah. people sometimes attribute to him. That, that I think it just kind of, the aloofness is more, I don't know what to say, rather than 
Uh, you're not worth talking to. <laughs> that was my impression for well, my whopping half hour. But I, I sat there through all five shows of the taping, so I, I don't know what that proves. <laughs> well, I don't mean to give that more attention than it deserves, but sure. uh, seeing that you were there with him, it's just uh, mm-hmm. just one of those odd things. I think your explanation and, and your perception of him is probably exactly right. Uh, I want to talk about the cover on the new book. You know, I still, uh, you know, I love you because you're still alive, and I tripped on it again. It's a tremendous cover, tremendous picture on the cover. Folks, if you haven't gone to the website, you need to do that as quickly as you can without losing our broadcast. But you need to go and look at this cover. It's, it's just terrific. Tell us about the cover. How did you come up with this concept? Well, I have, it started with a picture, and if you look on the back cover, there's a little kind of almost distorted because we had to reshape it to make it fit. Actual photograph of me. And that photograph was taken at work on someone's phone um, one day when I was just running in 563 different directions and I was about to lose my mind and I just kind of made this face where I gritted my teeth and dug my eyes out. And someone just took a picture of that. And I ended up, I just loved that picture of me. It's not an especially flattering picture of me, but I just loved it because it just really summed up how I was feeling at that moment. And if if you have to play the word association game with that picture, the word that I would pick is unhinged. I have been married for 49 years, and I can recognize a similar expression on my wife's face. I was going to say, I know that Mike, Jacob, and Myron have seen that look a number of times, and they know that means shut up. <laughs> but anyway. No way. Mommy's about to blow. Uh, so I just love that picture. I had it up on my Facebook page, and it was even my profile picture for a while. Um, some of the more, uh, I won't say more, I'll say less fun of my friends were giving me grief about it, that I was a public figure and I shouldn't have such a crazy picture of me as my profile picture. Uh, I have a sense of humor that doesn't change anything. Uh, But anyway, I had it up there. And then when I was um, getting ready to go to the Irma Bombeck conference, um, uh, there was a group of Facebook group for people who were going to go, and we were all kind of introducing ourselves and meeting each other, and we were all expressing how nervous we were about you know, being the one person who couldn't write or who wasn't funny or nobody would like and would sit in the corner with no friends and that sort of thing. And one of the other women had, I guess she had gone through my Facebook page and she she picked out that picture and she copied it and pasted it and said, this is the person we want to meet. And I thought, well, that's great that you picked out that picture of all the ones on my Facebook page because I just love that picture. So when I was writing the book... I wanted to use that picture on the cover, and I had originally done a mock-up with that picture. And part of the problem was it was taken on someone's phone, and it's just not a high-quality picture. And my kids saw it and freaked out that I could not do that because I was like an insane person, and there was no way they were going to let an insane picture of their mother be on the cover of a book. And so I was talking to a friend of mine, and she said, well, what if you made it into a caricature? And then it wouldn't really be a picture of you. And so I went on to Fiverr, which um, in my, I think it's in the Armadillo Pickaxe and Laundry Basket, there's a chapter on Fiverr. Fiverr, which is F-I-V-E-R-R dot com, is this amazing website 
where you can pretty much pay anybody to do anything for $5. And so I thought, well, it's a small investment. If it was terrible, who cares? And I ended up paying a little more than that because I paid for you know, uh, commercial rights and all that stuff. But basically, for $5, uh, this guy will turn a photograph into a character. So I sent him a copy of that picture, and this is what he sent back. It's tremendous. And well, I just fell in love with it. <laughs> well, it goes it goes perfectly with the title. And uh, mm-hmm. folks that, that haven't seen it yet, once you do see it, you'll understand what we've been talking about here. Uh, Lori, you write from a woman's, well, actually more specifically than that, a working mom's perspective. Does that limit what you offer uh, and what you write about to simply women only? I like to think not. Um, you know, I've talked to a lot of marketing folks about my books and my writing, and, you know, you're supposed to have a target audience, and who's your target audience? And I suppose that people like me who are, uh, you know, my demographic, middle-class, middle-aged women buy the most books of anybody. Um, so it's a pretty broad target market, but I think it's it's relatable to anybody who lives in that environment. Anyone who has to deal with someone like me, even if they're not like me, which would be almost everybody, uh, I've gotten good response from men, and if you look on the, uh, my reviews are probably about a third of them from men, which I'm, I'm happy about, and because I, I don't want to be exclusive. I don't want to be thought of or known as a writer for women because I'm writing for life, for people. Uh, and I really thought about that when I did the cover because, you know, again, talking about the cover, it's a really vivid pink. Um, and I, I had done it, had it done also in yellow, which was a vi- another vivid color. But I just liked the pink. And I, I don't know that I can tell you why. I just did. Uh, and I, I worried about that, that it would, you know, no man would be seen reading a pink book. Um, but it's so far... It seems to. It's eye catching. It is. It's eye catching. Yeah. I, I think pink. It, you know, red might be the color of rage, and pink is on its way <laughs> to red. So, you know, maybe. <laughs> maybe <laughs> That's a, I like that. Maybe everything is self-explanatory <laughs> there. Um, you you are, as we've said numerous times, you're a working wife and a mother of two teenagers. Now, what we haven't really talked about too much is that you're also a municipal court judge in Gwinnett County, Georgia. Does what you see at work enter into what you write about? Probably. And I've left you very uh, little time, so uh, I'm going to be interrupting you in a minute. But Sure, sure. Uh, well, there's a lot of stuff that I can't write about. Um, I try, you know, there's some wonderful stories that I would love to tell that I see in the courtroom that I don't because I feel like I need to protect people's privacy and this is their lives and it's their story and it's not for me to tell. Um, I also, when I'm acting as a lawyer, I don't want my clients to think that they're potential material. Uh, But it does, it's it's just phenomenal people watching. And, And I think to be a good writer, you have to be a good people watcher because you have to be able to, to, understand the other people in your lives and see how they operate and how oh, they yeah. flow in the world and, and it's I just love talking to people and 
getting the perspective of people who think and say things that would never occur to me to think or say. Well, we're going to come back to this because I I made the mistake of asking it with too short a time. (laughs) Folks, we're talking with Lori B. Duff, Municipal Court Judge in Gwinnett County, Georgia, and we're going to be back with more after these messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we are back. We're here on the prologue on America's Web Radio. Our guest today is Lori B. Duff. And we've been talking about the fact that Lori, being an author, she is also a municipal court judge. And we were wondering how her job sitting on the bench can possibly affect that. But before we get back into that, I want to have you again tell everybody where can they find out more about Lori B. Duff and her wonderful three books. Where can people go on the Internet? Well, of course, the best place is my website, which is just the best place, period. Uh, LoriDuffWrites.com, L-O-R-I-D-U-F-F, that's F as in Frank, uh, .com. And you can also find my books on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or really any online retailer. All right. Now, in your job, uh, which is five days a week, I'm assuming, uh, sitting on the bench, have you ever caught yourself uh, actually pulling out a little scrap piece of paper and making a note while you're sitting there uh, presiding over a case? I do that all the time. I have a pad of Post-it notes. And I'll write post-it notes, and I'll, there's a, a kind of ledge on the bench, and I just I stick them on the ledge so I could look at them. And it's usually something somebody has said, and I want to preserve that quote and and maybe use it later in something. <laughs> well, you know, I can imagine that people who end up in court, 
are probably just uh, exaggerations of what we all think about, you know, that we, we hold back and don't actually do it. Maybe some of these people you get to meet uh, didn't didn't have that self-control and went ahead and acted out on something, so they find themselves in your courtroom. Is, is, is that near accurate? Pretty much. Uh, I, I do municipal court, which is mostly traffic. Uh, I also do DUI, shoplifting, criminal trespass, disorderly conduct, kind of minor misdemeanors. So it's really not a terribly high-stakes court. Uh, so we can have, I think, a little more fun than we you can in a more serious, you know, we're not dealing with robbery or rape or murder or anything no. like that. Um, but my, my favorite, I'll tell one story, because I know we don't have much time, uh, so someone came in wearing a T-shirt for her trial that said, I can't be good all the time. <laughs> and I wrote that on a Post-it note, and I stuck it front and center. And every time I sit down, I see that Post-it note that says, I can't be good all the time. <laughs> that would be a popular shirt at a party. I don't know about court. Yeah. I said something to her. I said, why didn't you choose that court, that shirt for court today? And she didn't even realize what she was wearing. I think she just grabbed something out of a pile. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. All right. Listen, do you ever worry about running out of material? No. Not at all. I worry about having time to get it all down. Well, you have the talent of recognizing it. That's the thing. <laughs> um, a lot of us, stuff like this strikes us as funny, and then we just move on. And yet you recognize it for what it is and make a note, however you do, and get to share it with us in your uh, unique way of writing and telling about it. So we're, we're fortunate to have these three books, and we're we're proud to have you on the show here. When did you Thank really you. start writing, and, uh, and what was that when you started writing? Was it a book right away, or what was it? No, I started, well, I've been writing my whole life, but I started writing so that other people could read it. In 2012, I had run for office and I had a crashing loss, and I was 42 years old at the time and ripe for a midlife crisis. And a, uh, one of the editors, Sharon Swanepoel, on the patch had put out a call for bloggers, and I had written some things, and I emailed it to her, and I said, is this the kind of thing you're looking for? And she said, yes. And so I started doing that, just blogging on the patch, and then I've expanded to other places. And then finally I thought, well, they need my blog needs its own home. And that's when I created the website, com, which has then expanded to include other things. Uh, and then I started putting it together into a book. But it really started as an antidote to a real itch for a midlife crisis. Fair enough. But it gave you a fan base to start with, didn't it? Yeah, it gave me a start and it gave me encouragement because I was getting really great positive responses to things. And I would have people I didn't know coming up to me in you know, fast food restaurants telling me they liked what I'd written. And it just kind of spurred me on to find more. And now I spend most of my waking hours just thinking, can I write about this? Can I write about this? Can I write about this? <laughs> Well, that's a good point there, too. Have you ever tried to turn something into humor that, that really wasn't funny to start with? Most of what I write about isn't funny to start with. I mean, there's there's huge chapters about surgery and uh, you know, I fell down playing uh, pickleball and shattered my wrist, and I have a plate in my wrist and, uh, with 
six screws and four pegs, and, you know, that's not at all a funny thing, but I managed to get four chapters of that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's all material. Well, now, speaking of that, all this material collecting, are you working on number four? I have probably about half written. Excellent. Do we have a title? <laughs> no. No title yet. The titles just come to me. They, they just show up in my head one day, and it just hasn't come to me yet. Okay. Uh, do you have an idea when you'll have that one ready, when we can look for it? No. No? <laughs> probably not till next fall. Okay, okay. By the time I finish it and put it together, it's hard. I'm, I, I seem to have fallen into a one-a-year pattern. Okay. Are, we have a lot of listeners who are readers. We have a lot of listeners who are writers or beginning writers. What advice would you offer real quick to someone who is uh, maybe tentative about starting out telling their stories? The, the first thing which took me over 40 years to learn is don't be afraid to write a terrible first draft. Your first draft is supposed to be terrible. And people look at that and they think, well, I can't write. And I think, no, that's just your first try. And then you go through and you fix it. But it, don't stop because you've written two sentences and you don't like them. Just keep going. Plow through, finish it, and then see what you've got. Are you are you speaking of grammatically or just the ideas or what, what specifically are you saying? Anything. You know, people are just... A, People are afraid of failure, and people are afraid if I write this, it'll be terrible, and no one will like it, no one will want to read it. Excellent. And then they'll, they'll write a few sentences and think, oh, this is bad. I should stop. No, don't stop. Keep going. Keep there going. There you go. Keep going. Keep going. All that stuff can be fixed, can it? Mm-hmm. It yeah. can. The idea is to sit down and write. I love that. When you do write, do you, do you have certain times and, and uh, goals that you set for yourself? Do you write for so many hours a day or so many words or anything like that? I wish I could do that. My life is too phonetic to have a schedule. I'm always driving people places. Whenever I can, I'm always writing in my head, and usually by the time that I sit down to type it, it's already written. I'm just transcribing. Very Without good. I'm, yeah. Well, uh, listeners, Lori's new book again. I want to mention the title one more time. Let's see if I can get it right the first shot. <laughs> you know I love you because you're still alive. And it's available through Amazon and on her website, which is www.lauriedufffrights.com. And also there, and deserving another look, would be this, the first two books, Mismatched Shoes and Upside Down Pizza and The Armadillo, the Pickaxe, and the Laundry Basket. All of those are available on her website and also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the traditional online sites. Uh, as we're running out of time here... Uh, is there any anybody besides Mike, Jacob, and Marin that you would like to speak to or shout out to? It's Jessica's birthday, and I told her I'd give her a birthday shout out. So happy All birthday, right. Jessica! Okay, who is Jessica? <laughs> She's one of my coworkers. Excellent. Well, happy, bir happy birthday, Jessica! Very good. <laughs> and and I, did you hear that? Lori wants a donut. So don't. I, I bought her the donut. So oh, I you bought her. Okay, very good. <laughs> well, listen. We hope when the new book is is ready and available that you're going to consider us and you'll come back on and tell us all about it. Uh, time's running out today, but uh, just we appreciate you being here. And I wanted to ask you, is there anything you can think of that we did not cover? Oh, gosh. 
Well, let's say my website one more time, www.lauriedefrights.com. Very good. Hashtag shameless self-promotion. There you go. Go there. And, <laughs> you know, we, we put it at the end, and I hope I've got time here. I want to recognize two very important groups of listeners that we have, our armed forces who are all around the world working hard to keep us safe, and also the first responders who are here at home uh, responding every time we get our little behinds in trouble. Sometimes they end up before people like Ms. Duff here, and sometimes uh, they end up in hospitals. But uh, we want to thank those first responders for the job and the effort that they do. Folks, uh, I want to thank the audience for being here today uh, and uh, listening to us. Lori, I want to thank you for being here and for trusting us with your new book and uh We just hope everybody listening is going to reach out and get a copy and start enjoying it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Very good. Listen, that's about it for this hour. Again, I want to thank my special guest, Lori B. Duff, for bringing us her newest book, You Know I Love You Because You're Still Alive. I had to try it one more time to get it right. Uh, So for myself, I am Doug Dahlgren, and for our guest, Lori B. Duff, I want to say be good to yourselves and each other. Read a book. If not one of Lori's, maybe you'll pick one of mine. And we'll see you all again in just 167 hours. Take care now. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.